in. So I'm going to jump and dive. Uh, we don't have a heap of time, and I want to build actually on um, some sharing of my heart that I did last week Sunday here. Um, what we had on the screen last week was a picture that we've been using in our core team meetings last year. Do you remember what some of the circles were? Those of you here last week, we had one that showed the personal, and then the middle one said, you know, family or the corporate, and then on the one on the end said missional. And what we were talking about is that what is possibly happening in a bunch of churches around the world is a different type of pandemic, and we believe it's been happening a bit here, where the personal, the middle, no, that's the end, the middle part, the um, family, are you waiting for me? No, the family part is, um, has been going really well as far as connection goes or people getting to know each other or coming together on Sundays. So yes, the family's been working as far as people congregating as a family. But we've just been wondering if there's been a corporate issue around the world when it comes to the family of less and less and less people doing the personal circle, which is personal responsibility of our intimacy with the Lord. Personal responsibility of being on fire for Him, uh, hearing what He has to say during the, the week, interviewing His heart on what's on His heart, maybe worshipping Him on our own in song, um, maybe, you know, whatever you sound like. Um, at home, sort of speaking in tongues, pressing in on things, um, fighting for things, interceding for things. Lord, what's on your heart for this? Um, and so that whole personal side, I'm just wondering if across time, we're watching a lapse of maybe that fire and what we're having increase instead is a lot of Christians who are quite comfortable, especially in first world countries. Uh, some of that has been our goal. So we'll get, we got into that a bit last week. We're actually to be comfortably numb so to be a bit fat as far as some of our belongings and how we're going and we're not in dire straits financially and all of that, but then to be actually quite spiritually lean. And it's like there's this imbalance that sort of happened with a lot of us, I've been one of them, where it's like um, the things that we are in control of, we go and self-satisfy. We can go and self-satisfy when it comes to comfort and we're comfortably numb because a lot of us have the goal of getting away from pain. Humans are designed that way, like we do not put our hand on an oven, but we, we, we re re recoil at pain. But biblically, there's actually a whole scope of suffering as part of often the Christian walk, that the Lord would even use fire, that the Lord uses caves, that the Lord uses pits, that the Lord uses prisons to do an incredible work in us and to mature us and to build us. That's not to say He loves to bring suffering and bring hurt to us, but He actually allows and uses that there's, there's wildernesses for a reason and it's actually for our good. But we're becoming very clever in this uh, world where actually a lot is at our fingers tips to get to that comfortably numb stage within our own power instead of just hanging in there in the fire and letting him hold us in that spot for another year even when things haven't broken through even when things are tough this might not be you but I'm just painting the picture of what we're talking about here so when it comes to the personal when it comes to being spiritually fat and then a bit lean in every other area a lot of us I'm not sure I'm not sure if we're self-responsible to actually each day intentionally pursue Him. Do we wake up and go, today, intentionality when it comes to intimacy with God is gonna look like this, and we go into the day choosing it. Do we go into the day running 
after him in some area. For some people, they go into today running after lots of little children or you know, babies' needs or an invalid that lives in the home that they're a carer for or they're sick themselves. So there are, there are areas where it actually can be really tricky to give much time to these sorts of things. But I'm not even focusing on behaviour. I'm talking about on a heart level. Like, is there a kind of grief if we can't spend a lot of time pursuing him that day because of something that's got to be done at work or something that's happening with the children? Is there a grief because we're longing? Is that longingness part of our everyday Christianity? We just live with that longingness for more, for more, for more. Or has there been so much ability to become comfortable and comfortably numb and we're walking around quite lean. And what that means is when we get back to the corporate, when we get to the, to the family, that middle bubble, what happens if lots of personal people are quite lean spiritually as we have a powerless church? And I'm wondering if that's happening a bit globally as well, not in some areas and not with some churches, but if we've got a lot of people that are comfortably numb, we have a, a sleeping church. And then what can happen is you can get into corporate settings like this and intercession's a bit clunky if we all start moving in that, if the Holy Spirit invites us into that. We can maybe be good at having family time if that's something that's a focus in the community. But when it comes to the things of the Spirit, if the things of the Spirit aren't being fostered over here, then it's very tricky to have a church where that sort of stuff's fostered. And then if we're a family that's without the power, like miracles, signs, wonders, the lame walking, I mean like the power, should be in the church. It should be what we're known for. If we're a church community that's not living by that power and knowing that for just the Lord is in this place, then when it comes to the missional, which is that last focus, which is Jesus really is like, go is the command, yeah? Go and make disciples and do this and do that. That can all be missing. Because how can we have a missional church if they're collectively asleep because they're not privately burning. But if we become burning ones, then we become burning ones, big entities full of burning ones, which then take the fire to the world. And what's, what we're clicked in, what the Lord showed us this last year is something that I think is in many places, is that the personal has been forgotten more and more because there's no, Truly, let's admit it, I'm one of these. If we're in suffering, the Bible reading goes up. Maybe it's just me. If I'm suffering, I need a word from God, I need some hope, I need a promise, I'm just in a darkness, worship music's on, the Bible's on my table, yeah? But if we're living in a nation where we're so blessed, I'm not sure it's the blessed place to be as a Christian, because nothing is driving us to Him. We actually have to walk to Him out of our own choice. We actually have to go to Him going, I need you because you're you. And I want you because you're you. And we have to walk towards Him, not because we're running to Him out of desperation, but because we're like, I don't even wanna to do today if I'm not connected with you and it. After last Sunday, we talked about this. There actually felt like a lot of repentance came up at the end. It, I hope it felt to you as a condemnation-free time, but there was actually a bunch of condemnation. If that was you and if you repented for something out of that time, what did this week look like? Big difference? 
small difference, some as big as your head. I spoke last Sunday on it and I went through a week where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just seeing it more. This self-sufficiency is what we talked about. That was the topic. Self-sufficiency, where I'm not feeling felt need for him, felt checking in with him over A, B, C, and D, felt knowing that I've just got to take communion regularly and then do that with friends regularly and um, just utter words of thanks. And so I was catching myself going, it's been another bit of a patch here. But if nothing is behind us, chasing us, snapping its teeth, or if no fire is behind us, it's kind of hard to walk to him each day just because we're actually comfortably numb. And we talked a bit about booming and busting, that a lot of us live this world pushing it a bit and being this idol of busyness, which for some of us is actually feeding a deeper need, maybe some false significance we get out of our careers or our ministries or our calling, or some finances that we get through that, or some avoidance of what's on the inside of us or avoidance of what's at home. There can be many reasons to go too fast, too hard. But this idol of busyness that's become worldwide, I think is quite closely linked with this lack of daily pursuit of intimacy with him. And then we boom and we push and we overdo it and then we get home in the evening and we crash. And I'm not referring about those who are feeding babies all through the night. Of course you'd crash in the evening, but I'm, I'm talking about when it comes to our choices a lot of this is, a lot of that is. We boom, we push, we push, and then we're crashing. Why would one have intimacy with God when you're in crash mode? You're so zoned out, you're so shattered, you can't even think, and finally, I have a moment, and so Netflix won't even cook. Uber to the door, uh, won't even do this, won't even do that, can't talk to whoever's at home, can't have connection time, even with those there in the natural binge on phone. And so we're scrolling instead of being in the word. And we're just scrolling because our goal is to zone out, comfortably numb. Our goal is to zone out, zone out, zone out because we're busting, because we were booming, and then we're busting. And then in the middle, some way we're intimacy with God's in the middle. We can't have that kind of intimacy with him if we're a boomer. And we definitely can't have it if we're a buster because the only way to get back to middle is to recover, so we're just flatline. And it's actually kind of like a normality. Do you, do you buy a coffee or something from somewhere and they go, busy day? Like they've decided it for you, because of course that would be your answer if they said, how's your day? Because we would go, busy. That's just really sad, something's wrong. We can have busy children, we can have busy seasons, but busy lives as a norm, what, what, how did we get there? How do we have intimacy with humans and intimacy with God in a life of busyness? And what perceived false benefit are we meeting by keeping those busy lives? Like we're actually feeding something. There's a heart pose behind busyness that's it's working for something in our hearts. There's no chance we can talk about this intimacy with God and the personal being burning if we're booming and busting. We need to really go, that is, the, that is bad and our lives have got to change. 
and I've got to get deal with what busyness is feeding because this is a relationship with him and the Holy Spirit and knowing what's on his heart and my relationships with my loved ones at home and in this community and outside, it's not sustainable. They can't thrive in busyness. They can't. We're not designed for it. It takes so long and then the body crashes. We're actually not designed for it. But a lot of 20s and 30s do it in particular and then pay for it physically. It's not what a human's made for. But it's become this idol. And now I'm getting myself into the habit of the busy day, no. Full, today's feeling full. But it's nothing that is outside of my control. I made the choices. We're not a victim. We're not a victim of our timetables, mostly. We've got choices and we've gotten to this booming, busting life. And so basically anything that's to rest us instead of resting in him, resting in him, like he, he loves to give his beloved rest. I don't even know if I wrote the scripture down. It's just come to mind. It's in Psalms, I think. Someone might have to help me. It is vain to stay up late at night and eat, and then to rise early in the morning because he gives his beloved rest. Because it says that in the scripture, it's vanity to do that because he gives his beloved rest. He doesn't like us living like that, but we've got these things that the world sell us and we pay for that help us recover for when we're not overdoing it over here. And somewhere in the middle is intimacy with him and hunger for him. It says in the scripture that he, he loves to lead us by, beside streams of water and, and, and bring us to these meadows. Like he actually likes to be the, the, the rest giver. I wonder if we robbed him of being the rest giver. Add to that, he loves to be the comfort giver. It's actually a capital C when it comes to the, who the Holy Spirit is. He is the comforter. And many of us, it's been a part of my journey, don't know how to take comfort from him. We know that it's his name and we call him by that out of faith. And that's beautiful. But I wonder if more of us would, would own together, how, how can we help each other? We don't know how to take comfort from him. But may that be what we confess and say help. And let's start there. Let's start by helping each other go, well, when I go to him for comfort, I, I do this. But how does one go to him for comfort if we're exhausted? And if we could just do this and be comfortably numb and the pain goes away, but it's not true comfort and it's not true rest. It's not true rest when you watch a series all day long. It does feel like the indulgent that we're looking for because we deserve this. Many of you use that justification language and I need this. But it actually, you don't actually feel like you've recovered completely or had good rest, but there's a rest in him but I'm wondering if more of us could explore. What does it look like to rest in the rest giver? And what does it look like to receive comfort immediately? Some of us are like, I know he's the comforter, but it doesn't come immediately when I turn to him. And so I try him first, but he doesn't give it immediately. And so I turn to dot, dot, dot. Maybe even my partner, which the Lord has given and it has a place, but but he's the comforter, so something, let's talk about it. I go to him and I don't receive from him immediately. What is that? That's something we can look at because his heart is to embrace you immediately. His heart is to be the comforter. But 
if we don't know him as the comforter and we don't know him as a place of rest, and if there's nothing rewarding about being with him because it's more work, because relationships take work, and it's, it's energy and capacity that I don't have, I really do understand that. I understand what it is to say to him, I can't, I don't have capacity for this, I'm incapacitated. It's been a lot of my last few years in my health journey. But then to even say, I learned slowly. This is literally why I, was, I said it a lot last week, is because I've done, I'm coming back from a road going, my hair's on end and I'm going, don't go down that path. Because <laughs> I really, self-sufficiency in part of my heart has been a, a, a thing. But to say, will you even cling to me? Because I don't even have energy to cling. Can you just cling to me? And then to find the beauty of weakness in him because you have nothing to offer him. I learned it was such a holy place to say, I don't even have one thing to offer you. I can't even contribute to our intimacy, but will you cling to me? And then to learn that there was no shame in that and no shoulds in that because little shoulds were coming out of me. I should, you know, offer him something. I should still pray or just worship or thank him. Or should, the religious shoulds would just wash out. And he kept saying to me in my exhaustion, I require nothing of you. I require nothing of you. He said it to me for over, over a year. I require nothing of you. And all the shoulds would just keep melting away. But it was only because I was still in conversation with him and taking my weakness and my nothingness and saying, will you cling to me? So it don't, it, even in your exhaustion, it doesn't mean that it has to be, that you need to now do intimacy with God. How does one have energy for that? But he really is right there and he'll even supply what's needed for both your sides. If you would still pick him, and I, I just think you would love to be picked. But we've got this beautiful big black box on our screens at home and the remote right here. And our phones and the scrolling. Have any of you done that thing I was mentioning last week? Turn on the thing where it tells you how long you've been, had screen time that week. It's quite shocking. I did it again today, the time came up. This week you spent so much and so much on your phone and I'm reflecting on that compared to, I mean I use it at work too and things like that as some of you do. But I'm reflecting on that mixed with my intimacy time and I'm like something's wrong. We're lacking zoning out, we're zoning out. And then we're this corporate church, this circle in the middle and we're a zoned out, powerless, sleepy, like ugh. Not, er not every individual is, but as a collective, I feel like more than, you know, like 70% maybe, is if there's a sleepy, um, and then we can feel it and it comes through in our worship and it's just like, this isn't working anymore. I think the Lord's wanting us to go back to the personal. And then when we go back, we're all individual matches. Let's sort this out. Then let's get back to, okay, let's be the family and we're all on fire as much as is in our control and we can, even if it's just a tiny little thing then you've got to offer. And then let's go change the world. And let's be the church that's on the move and on the mission. And I'm wondering even if there's a lot of us that don't even feel passionate about the world anymore, just like we don't feel passionate about him. In the same way that we don't wake with this longing, longing to be with him, I wonder if a lot of us don't wake with this longing for the street we live on to just know him. Perhaps some of us have a loved one that hasn't chosen the Lord yet or who walked away from him. But that's like the suffering, the biting bear that's behind us that leads us into the Father's arms. So I'm not saying motivation from pain. I'm saying even if there's no one that's causing you pain by their choices, 
just have a neighborhood of people that don't know him yet, do we wake with a longing on their behalf for them to be awake Christians who have a longing for him? Do you have a longing for other nations? Is there a nation that he's put on our heart? Do you have a longing for, and there's such a long list of the things that are on his heart, but I'm wondering if because we're comfortably numb and we're spiritually lean, this thing is really showing up mostly over here when it comes to the missional. That whole evangelical side would actually reflect, I think, being burning ones. I'm totally a part of this. We're all in this together. But this is not good. This is really not good. And then we've just got to be careful that we're not then our Christianity is based on the corporate, which means it's based on what we attend, like attend a Sunday, attend a life hub, or based on who we're connected with and we're family and we love each other and we're doing a lot of the relational stuff, which is wonderful. But that's just got to be part of it. It's still got to be primarily we're just on fire and actually spending time with him which means if we actually get into some suffering, the first thing we're not doing is a relationship addiction and phoning someone in the life hub. It's like, I've gone to him, but I'm having battles with this. And I was in the word, but I can't hear him. Will you, family, pray with me? And much more responsibility that we all go, come on, let's do this. So last week I started with a, what we put might be a bit of a series, but called it self-sufficiency self-sufficiency part one, and I said, oh, next time I speak on self-sufficiency, I might actually um, focus on um, self-sufficiency with people, because we can have self-sufficiency where we don't lean on God, but we can have self-sufficiency where we don't really do well with interdependent, needing people in the community. But we're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think we just gotta focus on the God one for quite a while, and just everybody slowly getting up together it wasn't an expectation thing, but like opportunity for everyone to become that individual burning one again. And then when we're all there, later when we focus on back to the family and the corporate, then let's talk about interdependency with people. So I'll pick that one up later, maybe later in the year. And we definitely got to get here. There are people out there needing us now <laughs> to get up over there. It's really impacting the world that our Christians, our Christians are often asleep really hope you continuously feel loved, believed in. I'm, maybe it's just me and a few others that have gotten this wrong in some areas of our hearts, but um, I really encourage us to say, search our hearts, Holy Spirit. Search our hearts, Holy Spirit. See if there's any way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, so I gave a brief definition last week about selfish sufficiency, just for those who weren't here. We won't do this each week and different people might speak into this each week. But it was needing no outside help in satisfying one's basic needs. So if we apply this to our relationship with the Lord, it's not really living each day with a felt need of Him satisfying basic needs. Like, are we like, I can't even do this work meeting unless you come, Holy Spirit because I need the higher wisdom. I can't even parent today unless you come, Holy Spirit. I can't even sit at the table here unless you come. I can't, I can't feed this baby again unless you come. Is there this felt dependence on him with our basic needs? I can't rest unless you hold me. If there isn't this real focus on unless you come, 
then that starts getting into the category of self-sufficiency, where we look within ourselves to be sufficient enough to get through today. Another one was having an extreme confidence in one's ability. Now to look at that and go, oh, I actually struggle with confidence. I'm not actually a confident person. We're not talking about that. What this means is, if you were to look at the timetable of your life, maybe uh, your timeline of how you spent your week, or if you were looking at your finances, could it be that in some areas there's a confidence in your own ability to function? to lead what you lead, to do your calling, uh, to help run a life hub, to uh, serve food at a food bank, to um, be part of a prayer set, to lead your family, to parent, to be a teacher, to be the lollipop person on the road. If there's a confidence that you can do this without leaning into him, that's what we mean by self-sufficiency. And, and I'm wondering if there's a whole bunch more, so what the opposite is of, the antonym of self-sufficiency, is um, reliance and depending. That's the opposite of self-sufficiency. If we live this life of rely, rely, rely. So that means we're much more chatting to him during the day, we're praying often, because unless you come, unless you come, and there's this relying, 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 and dependence, 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 I just, drive away from home in the morning and going, well, I'm gonna pray over my wife because that was weird and that wasn't working at home and I need you to break through, I need you to break through God. And this dependency, rather than I'm battling, I'm gonna go and get what I need, online shopping, shopping in the present, eating, looking at things online, that's really not good for you. Fantasy, it's a false refuge, we can go into fantasy to get away, to get different needs met, body, soul, spirit, sexual, whatever, fantasy, so false refuge. Or do we go into, I need you, I need you, oh, how I need you. And so last week I was saying that, um, I'm just skipping around, I'm gonna get on to Revelations three in a second. Last week I, I didn't even go through the list of possible reasons why we become self-sufficient, but one thing we unpacked together is that a root pretty much of all self-sufficiency is pride. And I, I think it's really healthy if we just know we're people with pride, even if we've, the Lord has really revealed it to us before, because it's a constant, have you found that you keep finding more pride? Maybe today you're like, well, I guess if we're not self-sufficient, what if that, that's confidence in one's own ability, it's pride. The fact that we don't live each day going, I need you, and if you don't come through, then there must be some self-confidence. And in that area, I'm not saying all of you is riddled with pride or that you're proud as a person, but this is not an identity thing, but in our hearts, in a place, we can have some pride there, that there wasn't a dependency. But if we lived with this dependency, that's when we live weak, going, I have nothing but your grace is made perfect in my weakness. That's the opposite of pride. And so we don't wanna be people who just never get to that personal place of daily pursuing him because we know how to do it ourselves. It's a much less level of power. Maybe the miracles aren't happening. Maybe that person who walked past you in the shop, their leg never got healed. Maybe the neighbor didn't become saved. 
Because really, if we were living, jumping in our Christian faith all the time, doing big, brave things, knowing that we can't do this unless He comes, then we're probably proud and self-sufficient. But if we lived every day going, I'm gonna pray, and anytime I see someone who's got some wounding or sore, I tell you what, pride goes out the window quite quickly and the dependency comes in. And that's the bride working in power. And no, we don't need to know how to do it. We don't need to be full of this gift and developed in that. Yes, there's some of that's partial, but we need to just be dependent and reliant and going, I, all I have to offer is loaves and fishes and he feeds 5,000. It's actually the way the kingdom works. All I have to do is obey, because he said, go, hello the missional. All I have to do is obey, and I have to know that I can't do this. It's the humility. And then I just need to trust that when I go, he will come. And then that's a type of radical Christian walk that involves us doing brave things all the time in our calling, in our workplace, or whatever we're leading, in our home and with our children, in our relationships and with the people on the street and with the neighbours. And we, we do the brave thing where we're leaping every day. It's very exhausting to do brave things all the time. But then the power can come because then we go beyond ourselves. And it's the going beyond ourselves that leaves the pride. It's going the beyond ourselves that goes, unless you come. And that's where the church should be living. Complete, utter um, reliance and dependency over here, which we're gaining confidence as we go. There's no shoulds. But as we gain confidence, we can go every time I leap, he comes. Because the most holy offering we can give is weakness. I don't know how to do this, but you do. I felt that this morning. I was like, I can't can't do, I'm nervous every time I speak. I can't speak unless you come. Because otherwise it's just words of wisdom and human Human wisdom, as Paul talks about, you need the anointing. But the anointing only comes when the oil comes. And we are not the anointing. We don't have it in us what this world needs. Not one person in here has what it takes. And our pride needs to hear that. He is the only one who can do it. His is the power, His is the glory, His is the dominion. He's the only one who can raise the dead and set the captives free and deliver that person of demons. We can't. We don't tell the person, I delivered someone of a demon yesterday. No, I jumped and I was brave and I was just tried uh, and I got some equipping on how to do it. But, and Jesus, dot, 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 and Holy Spirit, dot, dot, dot. But are we living these brave, leaping lives that open the door for him to do it? Or are we much more much more invested in this comfortably numb thing. It's been a part of me. And he's, he's got something to say about this. You know the parts in the Bible that are in the red words? That's why Jesus really wants to talk into this. And I'd love us to just look into Revelation 3 where he actually writes to different churches in that part of the Bible. And he writes to this one, and this one is a self-sufficient church. So this is what he says to a, the middle circle, a family. He writes not to an individual. He writes to a, like a church like ours, a family. And he says, can we have a look at this self-sufficiency thing? And let's have a look a bit at what he wants to say. So that's Revelation 3. I've got an ESV version up here if you're playing with versions in front of you on your phone and you want to track, but you can do um, any version that is part of what makes sense to you. So Revelations 3, 14 to 22. So to the church in Laodicea, it's a bit more complex than Beldivis. To the church in Laodicea and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So the words of Jesus. So here we go. 
I know your works. Isn't that beautiful? So if is this to anyone of if this is to us or a part of us in this room, he's like, I know you. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. So if this is to anyone in this room, basically it's you're neither against me, you're neither completely apathetic, you're not completely asleep, you're not like hating on me, but you're not on fire. You're not doing some of those things, leaping, knowing that he's gotta come. And Jesus is like, I know ye, I know ye. Okay, let's just be real. You're neither cold against me, but you're not burning ones. Maybe this is some of us here. Would that you were either hot or cold. I blimmin' wish that you were that way or that way because I really don't like something that's in the middle. So, because you are lukewarm, which is, I guess, the meaning of a church that's neither on fire or against him or cold, and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's how he feels about a sleepy church. That's actually how he feels about the self-comfort and about the getting fat in many areas, but on spiritually really lean. This is Jesus's words. I will, like this is what he's gonna do, but I will suggest there's a time frame <laughs> that we can do something about it, that there's a time where we can actually go, get me to the hot plate. I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, and here it is, look at our comfort in this first world. For you say, I am rich. Some people here might go, I'm not rich. I tell you, if we actually lined ourselves up with a lot of places in the world, like we're pretty blessed, we're okay, pretty safe here, we're pretty rich, we're blessed. Um, for you say, I am rich, and you say, I have prospered. Some of you might feel that. Some of you may not feel that at all. But really, in this day and age, against all of history and against other countries, we are really rich and prospering. Next, it says, I need nothing. There's the self-sufficiency. There's the, I wake up each day and I'm not needing anything from God because I have taken it in my own power to be self-satisfying, um, which is a part of self-reliance. I have this toy, this gadget, this on TV, this food, this relationship, this addiction, you say, I don't really need anything. And not realizing that actually this is where we're at. You are wretched, Jesus says. You are pitiable, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. So Jesus is saying if there's some lukewarmness on the inside and we're not hungering and feeling this need for him all the time, that there's possibly a part of our hearts that are quite wretched. And that's what I meant by skinny Christians when it comes to our lean faith. And we're actually blind. That means we can't see the situation that we're in and we're naked. How does that feel? I'm just like, okay, I've, um, this is me in lots of ways or has been especially. So then Jesus speaks into this and he says, if this is in play, this is what I counsel you to do. So he says, I counsel you to buy, interesting word, I counsel you to buy from me, so Jesus wants to go shopping with you, different to false refuge. He says, I counsel you to buy gold refined by fire from Jesus. What does that even mean, if that's an answer? Gold refined by fire from Jesus, okay? 
number one. Number two, so, and so that you may be rich. Number two, the other thing you must buy from me is white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of this nakedness that that might not be seen, which suggests our skinny, naked spiritual lives can actually be a bit seen, the lack of power. So clothe yourself with white garments, buy gold from the fire, and salve. So that's like um, a tube of cream that you might buy from the chemist to put on, so maybe arnica. Buy salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see. So there's these three instructions if this is going on in our lives. So we'll come back to a little bit of that. Not gonna focus on them too much except for one of them. Those whom I love, us, I reprove and discipline. I talk harshly about some of these topics. So he's just sitting with us today. So be zealous and repent. So there's a command when it's be, be something. Be zealous and repent. So last week when we talked about some of this stuff, there was some repentance that some of us got into at the end of that gathering time. And today Jesus is giving us another key. He's giving us another clue. And he's saying, don't just repent. There's two things. It's be zealous and repent. Maybe this week you noticed again, gosh, there's just this lack of felt need when it comes to Jesus. Um, now he's going, add to the repentance zealousness. Zealous, be zealous. What does zealous mean? It's funny you say that, Amy. So the definition of zealous means be filled with a showing and strong and energetic desire to get something. Let's reflect on how we are with our intimacy with the Lord. Do you feel filled is an interesting word. Filled means to the top, it means all. Filled with a showing, remember their nakedness was showing. Be filled with a showing, so we should all be able to see it, not because we're performing, but because it's so big. Showing and strong and energetic desire to, and we're talking here about getting more of Jesus, getting more of the Holy Spirit, getting more connection with Him. How does that sit if some of that self-reflection not self-condemnation, self-reflection. Is there energy in your Christian walk? Let's reflect on that. Can one say that the part of your life that has the energy in it is the intimacy with the Lord? Or does the part of your life that has the energy with it work? Home life. I know they all have big demands and you're amazing, responsible people. False refuges. Even the good things that we do too much of, like food and exercise, good things that half of us could do more of. But is that where the energy goes to or does the energy go to intimacy? Where is our energy going? That reveals our gods. That reveals our idols. That reveals our lack of felt need and that reveals our slumbering. That reveals self-sufficiency. Because if I don't need to put energy into intimacy with him, that means I'm valuing something else more. Something else fills me more, or I need it more, or I deserve it more, or energy. Where does our energy go? Where does the most of our strength go? If I had to give the Lord my strength, what does that look like in a day? Can we say the strength went to the prayer life? 
I wonder if there'd be a handful of people in here who would say that, that the strength went to the prayer life. Do some of you maybe recoil from maybe getting into speaking in tongues for even just 10 minutes because of the energy? Or sitting and actually having communion with him and remembering him and thanking and taking the red and actually pouring the red and breaking the bread and then going and sitting. Because it takes energy, doesn't it? And the prayer takes energy and I'm just so tired. And I'm just so tired and I'm just so tired. But we, we actually do give energy somewhere else. Where's our energy going? This says where our energy going is what we're zealous for. So we might say, I'm zealous for God. But where's the energy going? And I'm wondering if that's the idol God more because otherwise the energy would be going over here. We're either the energy's here or it's not. It takes effort to wake in the morning and going, today my behavior will look like pursuit of you even if no suffering is chomping behind me. Yeah? That our prayer life actually consists of some time that really the only thing you're costing is your energy, your effort your will, the time you could be doing something else that might be more comfortable and pleasurable. And remember, we've been talking about that the, the road of the Lord is, is, the, is the narrow pathway. To feel like Christianity and comfort go together is really weird. It's actually not in the kingdom. And if we were living like this, missional over here, we would really be battling with possibly a lot of um, um, persecution, people not liking us, we'd be weird, we'd be unpopular. Because to really leap in the Lord is completely uncomfortable. Paul's like, don't boast in anything. But over here, if our energy's not here, our God is somewhere else or in something else. Because Jesus says, be zealous. Where are we zealous? That, that scripture says, there that your treasure of your heart is. That's where your heart is by your treasure. And if your heart's not over here, your treasure is something else except besides Jesus. The other, yeah, is it, zealous means marked by passion. Could, some, could, could Jesus say you're marked by passion for me? And, and yet for most of us, we could say there's something we're passionate about. Some people, it might be a journey to even feel passionate about anything, which is another story. But I think some of us are passionate about something. We love leading people. We love parenting. We love gardening. We love, so you'll probably find your behavior follows what you're passionate about. And this says to be zealous is to be marked by passion. Is there zealousy in our intimacy with him? If there isn't, it's possible there's some self-sufficiency, which means there's some pride and some maybe false gods in play. And we're in this season, it's like there's this time frame where we get to actually be the burning ones before the, the fire even comes, before the next wave of revival that is coming through, it's being prophesied, it's coming through, and the end times, we actually get to come because we wanted to, and not because we were responding to the fire that fell, and okay, now I'm passionate because I had an encounter with Holy Spirit on Sunday, and everyone's at the church on Monday night, and Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, because we just wanna be with Him. And I, hey, I've been there, and I love it, it's my favorite place. But if the fire isn't falling, and if there's no shaking, and if there's no tangible feeling, are we at the church property on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night? Because our passion, and our zeal, and our energy follows where our what we love and what we're interested in. 
but, but what if we chose to be passionate about him and then dealt with the coals that are cold and then the fire came and we were already hot and we got to be part of it instead of responding because, oh, 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 yeah, that's even better than the movie I've been watching. And now we come to the gathering in some ways to sort of take from someone else's oil and someone else's well that they've dug and someone else's gold that they've gotten out of fire to be part of take on someone else's that they've drilled. But what if we could drill our own well by choice? What if we bought our own oil and bought our own gold? Both things are said in the word. Matthew 25, 1 to 13 is the story of the, the 10 virgins. But in that he says, buy oil. They didn't have extra oil. The bridegroom came and they said, no, you can't have ours, go and buy oil. And now Jesus is talking to the Laodicean church and he said, buy, what does that mean? He's like, buy gold. So now we need to know we need to buy oil and we need to buy gold. What does that mean? It means pay the price. Because that's what we do if we buy Nando's for lunch. We pay the price for the chicken. So if he's saying buy gold refined in fire, he's saying pay the price. Pay the price of what? If you ever want to flick backwards, even in December, it might have been the 13th, 15th, I don't know what the Sunday was, I spoke on refiner's fire and all the way through the scripture how there's the fire, the fire, the refiner's fire, gold in the fire. And it has a lot to do with choosing to yield and stay still, even in a place of fire, because that is where the Lord does his work in our hearts, in our spirits. And here he's saying, choose to buy. Choose before the suffering even comes. Like, choose to pay the price to have gold in your life. That was the first thing he said to lukewarmness is pay the price to have your own gold. The first thing, if you're not on fire, pay the price to have your own gold. Stay in the fire, get uncomfortable. Can you imagine how uncomfortable a fire is? Get uncomfortable, cost yourself your energy and your passion to be in the secret place, to pray, not just to listen to podcasts and read books, no, to give and to mingle your words with him and to ask him in the morning, what's on your heart today? What's on your heart today? That would involve listening. Those 10 virgins, the five that were foolish, one of the meanings of foolish is heedlessness, which means you don't listen. If we're in a relationship, if I've got a, a friend or a, a dad or a husband, and I, at no point in our connection do we listen, do I listen. It's about them, me telling them how I feel or what I want or where I need them, what I need them to do. But I definitely will not listen to your voice speaking back to me. Unless I'm in suffering, then please speak now. And some of us are heedless Christians because our time with him is not like, so what's on your heart today? and being a friend of God, and being part of the counsel of the Lord, where He just shares what's on His heart, and then we give effort and time to even pray into that. That's been a big part of my selfishness. Because our time with Him has a lot more to do with one-way discussion, and ching, please slot machine and then a lot of disappointment when he doesn't come through. But how many of us are willing to pay the price of listening, which is the opposite of a heedless 
foolish virgin. And that's the, the ones that had the oil, is we listened and we communed with God and we just had fellowship and the intimacy oil was, was bought. So we pay the price for oil, we pay the price for gold by sticking in hard times and staying still in the fire and letting us mold us, letting him mold us, letting him mold our character. Ooh, staying in a fire takes everything on a human level and on a spiritual level, it takes everything. But if we can't stay in fires where he's doing his incredible expansion, he expands our spirit in a fire, it's a miracle of enlargement happens in a fire. If you can stay there long enough and we come out refined and then trusted with secrets of heaven and then released on a whole new level to do brave things that we know, I got nothing unless you come through. The miracle of enlargement happens in the fire, but are we willing to pay the price? And Jesus is going, will you buy, please? Will you buy? Will you buy? And the white garment refers to righteousness. There is a bunch of lawlessness and open doors into things that, oh, it's okay, and I don't even feel conscience when I look at that or think about that or get into that. And nobody really knows. I, I always repent to God. I just repent to God. But if we're not choosing to buy and pay the price for righteousness and have clean, clean hands and a pure heart, then again, there is lukewarmness. There's lukewarmness if we're not feeling angst that we're into something or we think about particular things or that we've got an over, we're shopping too much or eating too much or working too much. How are we going? Buy, pay the price of a white garment. Do the hard work of having purity in your hearts and in your hands. Pay the price, be known. Whenever there's fantasy, whenever there's stuff gone into, whenever there's you, you drank another beer and you didn't need it, unless you felt you need it, but you, that's different to actually needing it. Is there someone you're texting? Who's your accountability person? We talked about that last week. Are you known? Otherwise there's pride. Like pay the price for, for righteousness. He's saying if you, the answer to not be lukewarm is pay the price for righteousness. And it costs everything. It costs to do the hard work of staying in the fire and letting him purify and doing the healing journey and the heart journey to see why we get into some of the stuff. But he's going, would you please just pay the price and come back to being hot? And then that salve, which interestingly, there's a whole bunch. If you look into the church in Laodicea, they actually were between two other towns. And one of the towns had the hot springs and were known for it. So Hierapolis and Colossae, one of them had the hot springs. The other one was known for their, their cold water. And there was just so much meaning in all of this sort of stuff. And that even the church of Laodicea, like Laodicea was known for this black garment they actually produced. They produced material. And here that Jesus is saying words that would make sense to them. He loves using metaphors. He's saying buy a white garment for this place that actually would get it because they produce this black material. And were known for the banking that was in that city. They were known for their money, their self-sufficiency because they didn't live in need because they supplied. And I think it was AD 60, there was an earthquake that actually tore into Laodicea and they didn't look outside for any help because the rich people in that place provided the rebuilding of it. 
What an, an what a church and what a place to have. That's that's self sufficiency, is we don't need. We even from from inside of us rebuild the city. There's so much metaphors that come into this that he talks about, and they had the hospital and the eye salve. He actually researched into the sort of stuff that they produced. But he's saying, you have self in your city, but I'm telling you, there's a, there's a blindness in you. Pay, ask to see. It's the opposite of denial. Another whole topic in itself. Ask to see what you see, know what you know, live in the truth, call a spade a spade, like what we're talking about today. He's saying, take off the blindness to your actual situation, oh church in a town that produces an I-self, and buy from me an I-self that you could put on and actually see the state you're in and actually go, wake up, we are lukewarm. Buy the ability to see where you're at. Pay the price to not live in denial and comfortably numb so you can see where you're at. Then he says, be zealous, repent, and behold, I stand at the door and knock. You've heard this one before. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him. Who has he written to? A church or people in the world? The church. And what is he saying? I stand on the outside of you, lukewarm church, and I'm knocking on a door. I thought Jesus was on the inside. Why would he say I'm on the outside? Look for me, seek, knock. This is really, this is serious. He's writing to a church. He's describing the state they're in, which I feel is a lot of the global church today. And then he says, I'm on the outside. Whoa. That's what, to be really poor and naked and pitiable. This is wretched. If our Lord is on the outside and we're self-sufficient on the inside and doing a club, a social club, which we all do a little bit of the dishes at, but he's saying, I'm actually on the outside if there's lukewarmness. But I stand. And if, if you open the door, I'll open the door. Like he's like, I, I literally am right here. If you would move towards me and go, I want you in here and the lukewarmness out there. Jesus, I want you in here and I want the, the, the lack of felt need with you out there. He's saying, I will come. So there's our promise, people. This is what he's guaranteeing. I will come to him and eat with him. So then there's the communion, there's the fellowship. He's promising us as a community that if we could buy the price to get out of lukewarmness, which is gonna look like some behavior and choices in our hearts and some behavior, he's saying, I will come and eat with them and you us with him. To the one who conquers, to the one who conquers this lukewarmness, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Wow. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on the throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Not everyone here has an ear or an eye to see. And in the global church, not all are gonna see and hear this, this need to get out of lukewarmness in our private lives. Maybe we don't always see we're a lukewarm church. We love coming here on a Sunday and the presence came. So, and this and that, maybe you would go, I, I don't think we're lukewarm, but are we a big group of lukewarm Christians? Possibly. Well, then we're a lukewarm church. And hence, this, all this 
going into the world and making disciples and healing the sick and the lame. This is not happening because of the lukewarmness, the self-sufficiency. And Jesus is inviting us to pay the price. He's inviting us to pay the price, but the, paying the price is the opposite to doing what's comfortable because it involves effort, energy, zeal. Is there something you've paid the price for like financially? Or you traveled somewhere because you wanted to see that place or you went to an event because you wanted to go to that event because such and such was singing on the stage. Or you just did an all-nighter to get the exam in or the, the paper in. That's called paying the price. Are there things we have paid the price for? What does it look like to pay the price to get out of lukewarmness? It actually looks like effort all-nighter, driving in the car to get there, raising enough funds to get there. Like We make plans if we're open to paying a price. And we're excited usually about what we're paying the price for. The price some of us pay to have a home. The price some of us pay to heal a relationship or to purchase something we save for four months. What is the price paying looking like in our private life when it comes to just being with him because he's worth it and he's worth our time? But if we're not willing to pay the price, that's an invitation to lukewarmness and numbness. And then people, we've made our choices so it's gonna look like discomfort, a choice to be. But as Bill Johnson, who's not the good book, he's not the Bible, but as Bill Johnson has said, um, I know a lot of us love Bethel, but he has said, you eat and then you get hungry when it comes to the Bible. A lot of us in our natural, we feel hungry, so we eat. But he said, when it comes to the spiritual stuff, you choose to do it. And every day you eat, consistency is key. And you're in the word every day by choice. You actually just leave it on your coffee table or you leave it on your dining table or wherever you sit. You leave it out, you keep your pen ready to go the next bit. And he said, you eat and then the hunger begins. It's like the Lord really values himself and he's just not gonna give all of him to just this three minutes and once a week, I'm just gonna think of you. He's like, wow, they're pursuing me. Oh, it really ministers to me. And they're pursuing and they're pursuing because he's standing at that door. And he's like, and then he comes. And then when the hunger comes, there's no stopping us. But it just takes this little while of what's called discipline. After a choice to be zealous. Be zealous is different to feel zealous. He didn't say feel zealous. But most of us do things because we feel like it or don't feel like it. But he's saying be, not feel. Be, but I guarantee the feeling comes because when the connection and the bond is formed because you chose to eat and that hunger comes, then, then you're doing that thing which I was mentioning before where you wake up and you've got that bit of grief because you actually have an extra early meeting that morning and the child then needed this and actually ended up homesick and stuff. And then you miss him because there's a hunger and you live, oh, tomorrow I get to do it. And that's more what it is to be on fire and to be the hot ones. And I feel there's this gap in time. There just seems to be this gap in time where the Lord is inviting us to actually escape from being the foolish virgins that don't have the extra oil. And there's time, people, but we gotta get serious and we gotta buy gold and buy oil and buy righteousness and all of it pay, costs a lot. It costs us everything. But hey, the example of the one who gave away everything and cost himself everything so that he could have us. He really knows how to do it and he knows how to, to get you to do it. Just ask him, how, how do I get there? I'm this long on the journey. But he, he really has the keys because he did it too. It says, 
I did it. I conquered. You can conquer this. We can conquer the lukewarmness. And there's an invitation season. There's an invitation season. I know the worship team also were open to singing again at the end, which is something I want to just bring back in every now and again. But I'm aware um, we're getting into food that's been prepared, which is also a place of honor, because <laughs> we asked them to do that. But what we might just do is actually just settle for a minute, might even just have some music on that doesn't have words, because response is really important, response is key. Thank you to all the parents even who've brought your kids back in with you after five, you're beautiful. And thank you for your grace and the timing. Um, but what do we do? Do we walk away and forget? Remember, Scripture says when you look in the Word and then we walk away and we forget. It's like a man who's looked in the mirror and then walks away and forget what he looks like. Like, what are we, we going to do? And I imagine this week might look a little bit like last week for some of us where we came away from that teaching and, and not a lot changed. But let's just do it together. And it might take a few months. It might take all year. But we're going to keep going after this personal responsibility, personal responsibility, personal responsibility so that we can just all go together because it's the only way we're going to be a supernatural church, not a lovey-dovey church, a supernatural church. And it's only a supernatural church who, unless you come, God, we don't know how to do this, then the world can change. And we don't want to leave any behind. So we're just going to hover here this next few months and let's deal with our stuff. As we move forward in some of these topics, there's gonna be different areas that can mean we get stuck in lukewarmness. And some of those are pregnancy topics. Some of those are um, to do with corporate strongholds, to do with uh, personal strongholds, all the things that are in the Word. And there can be things in Perth that were, are impacting us. Like there's many topics that we can explore as to why. There can be uh, over-responsibility in us. There can be legalism and religion in us. There can be addiction in us. There's so many reasons. But if we go into all of those reasons without actually just looking at the, just be zealous, it'll all be rebuilding in the flesh. And we don't want to start chasing after him in the personal out of works. This is not have more quiet times, take communion, read the word, then we can be really what's, it's legalism, it's religion. We don't wanna get into works. We don't wanna, the personal can't look like our flesh doing more. Like if you're coming out of here and you're going, I've gotta do more, something's wrong. That is not what this is. This is at a heart level, hunger for him. I don't. Okay, at a heart level, look in, let's look into that. Let's investigate, let's be zealous. And it's the zealousness that helps us to then do those disciplines. Yes, it involves reading and talking and praying and communion and tongues and, and then it involves action to do all of this. Both sides involve action, but not out of works. Let's not do this side out of works either. And we should, and we should be on the street and we should be, do, shoulds, shoulds is religion. And the enemy loves religion. He loves driving the church, but the Holy Spirit invites. He doesn't drive us. So just know he's inviting us into fellowship with him and it doesn't look like adjusting our behavior like shoulds and like religion. It looks like on a heart level going, why am I not hungry? And let's just talk about it, Jesus. And then actually getting the zealousness in our hearts, not in our behavior. Behavior follows hearts. We don't want zealous behavior people. We want zealous hearted people, which leaks into our behavior. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's just, 
if there's anything you feel out of today that you want to say to him, it says, be zealous and repent. So together, there's always complete forgiveness with sins. And he really wants to wipe them all clean that we walk out of here where once our sin was red as scarlet, it is now white as snow. He loves to do that. And I'm gonna pronounce that over us. Shame free zone. But he said the key is to repent and then to be zealous. So let's just give time in case there's a few individuals who wanna just discuss this with him and then we're gonna go into some fellowship time. Yeah. Holy Spirit, you're the only one who can show us these areas in our life. Amy Talbot, can you not convict a particular heart in the whole world? She's not that powerful. The Holy Spirit is the only convictor. And we love, Lord, it says that you discipline your sons, that you discipline those that you love. It's part of healthy parenting. And so we invite you, Father God, to come as the healthy discipliner, not the rejecter, not the beater, not the yeller, not the disconnecting until we got it right. The healthy, the healthy parent who sits with us and corrects us and brings us back into line and brings us out of the lawlessness and into the boundaries. Father God, would you just come and hover over us as your children? And Holy Spirit, would you go deep? Would you show us where the sleeping places are? where the numb part is. Would you show us where the lukewarmness is? We, it says we don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. We need the salve. So we're asking you for the salve. We're putting in some effort and we're paying some price here and we're going, can we please have the salve? We need to have our eyes opened to where the lukewarm parts are. Would you come Holy Spirit and would you lead us into repentance? Jesus, you hear our confessions. And Lord, where it also is in the word, it does say confess your sins one to another. Lord, I just really encourage everyone here to be telling people where this is in them and to hold yourself accountable. It's the way through. The Lord ordered it to be so. But where you've confessed it to Him, I just now stand as, as a delegate of Jesus Christ and just pronounce that you are forgiven. You're forgiven by us as the church body and you're forgiven by Him. And where once your sins were red as scarlet, they are white as snow. Be zealous. Be zealous. I speak to your spirit. I bless your spirits. 
I bless your personal spirits to come forward and take their prominence, if you give me permission to pray over you in this way, to take prominence over your flesh, over your body, over your will and even your emotions, over your mind, and for your spirits to rise up and wake up and choose life and to come forward and to lead you and to choose zealousness. I bless you with the grace it's even by Him that we wake in the morning and we even by Him that we can say hallelujah. So we even need His grace to give us the zealousness. Everything's by Him and through Him. So we are asking you, Jesus, for the great grace and the supply of zealousness. We need zeal. We ask you for zeal. We choose zeal. We desire zeal. Would you help us to become zealous, even if it takes weeks, even if it takes months, would you deal with us until this lukewarmness is left behind in 2021? There's too big a future out there and there's a country needing us. Would, this, would, would the lukewarmness be left behind in February or in, in 2021, however long it takes, but would you wake us up and bring us forward and help us let go of our idols and help us let go of the, the things that our fingers are clutching. Lots of little toys I saw in the worship, lots of little goodies and we're clutching at these things. And he's like, I wanna give you the kingdom. I wanna give you the kingdom. And I wanna give you the secrets of the secret place. Would you let your toys go? Would you let the things that belong to, ch to children, babies, being infants in the faith, and as someone saw in the worship, we were tossing things into a fire. And I just feel He's inviting you to let go of toys that feel like they're just the best thing. I've got a toy and it's just, this, I love it. And I wake in the morning, and I wanna cuddle my toy and I, I just need my toy with me when I go to bed at night. And I just need my toy comfort and my toy supply. And now I need the new toy. And I just see Jesus going, I wanna give you the kingdom. Would you throw the, the toys? I just saw fingers clutching at toys. Maybe for some, this was a threatening word. And he's saying, would you throw the toys in the fire? I want to give you the keys to the kingdom. I have keys for you. And I wanna give you the gift of myself. And I can't get in there if your hands are full, but I wanna come in and I wanna eat with you and you with me. I want to fellowship with you, but I need your hands to be empty. Can you hear his invitation? What's your toy? Jesus, would you show us over this next few weeks even what are in our hands? And it's time to grow up now. It's time to mature. It's time to look for you for supply. It's time to take from you what we need. It's time to learn about the comforter and the person of rest and the Prince of Peace. Instead of us getting it for ourselves, we choose you, we choose you. We want you, by faith we choose you and want you. Would you help us make it so? In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. Thank you for fellowship with us today.